I had some now very brief nightmarish flashbacks of FileZilla copying uh, PHP uh, backends over to uh, to servers. Yeah, th those days are gone, you know. So, fortunately. Hey there, and welcome to the Stackbot. This is the podcast where we talk about all things related to observability, because that's what we do and that's what we're passionate about, but also what it's like to work in the ever-changing, dynamic tech industry. So if you are interested in that, you are definitely in the right place. In today's episode, we're talking to Zandre Witte. Zandre is a senior software engineer and technical lead of our integrations team here at StackState, and that means he and his team work on integrations of the StackState observability product. One of the most important integrations of our product is the Kubernetes integration, and that means Sandre is the perfect person to talk to about observability for Kubernetes environments in general, and more specifically, container runtimes. Because first of all, what does that mean, a container runtime? And second of all, why do they matter for observability, for example? Well, let's get into it and enjoy the podcast. Hi, my name is Anthony Evans, uh, back again with another episode of the Stack Pod. Uh, thank you for uh, joining and listening to us uh, today. Um, I'm joined today by uh, a fellow Stack State uh, colleague of mine. Uh, as you know, we interview people both internal, external, and in and around Stack State and tech and IT in general uh, to get viewpoints and, you know, see what people do. Uh, and today we're going to meet with uh, Zandre. Uh, Zandre is uh, located out of our um, European offices. He's part of our development team, but maybe, uh, Zandre, you can do yourself more justice than I can. Maybe give, you, give yourself a little bit of an intro, what you do and uh, what you're working on. Sure. You are doing great, by the way. So Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, um, yeah, so I'm uh, Zandre. But, uh, I uh, originally from South Africa, hence the uh, a bit of the accent. Um, I have been at Stack State now for nearly four years, um, just coming up on that. Uh, currently, I work as the, uh, the tech lead on the uh, integration slash um, ingestion team. Um, yeah, well, let me maybe backtrack a bit. So, uh, of course, started out in South Africa, worked for a bunch of startups, um, actually started out doing front-end uh, work, did a few designs of front-end even, uh, but progressively we moved my way more towards back-end things, uh, found logs quite interesting to look at, um, and yeah, made myself uh, all the way into the Netherlands. Uh, joined Stack State because I really believed in uh, the difference that the product was going to make uh, in terms of visualizing environments and sort of like having been in the struggle of that, being able to sort of like, in one sense, give back to the software community, you know, like building tooling that that makes our lives better. Um, as part of Stack State, uh, yeah, so I, I lead the integrations team. We, uh, we touch a large variety of integrations, of course, uh, Kubernetes, OpenShift, um, AWS being some of them, the more, uh, let's say, interesting, challenging ones. Um, but we also, uh, as part of StackState, we, we sort of like bring all the data points together. And so that means that we also look at a bunch of legacy systems um, to sort of bring you this uh, unified observability uh, interface. Um, so yeah, that's a brief summary <laughs> where I've come from, what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah, 
That's cool. Where, where in uh, where in South Africa did you grow up? So I was born and raised in Cape Town, um, in an area they call the Northern Suburbs, uh, which is really working man's place. Um, but uh, yeah, beautiful city, of course, beautiful country. Um, yeah. I had, a, I had a lot of roommates in London um, who were from specifically Cape Town. It would either be Cape Town, a few people from Durban, uh, and then very few people from uh, Johannesburg. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, and they, they would get into the UK because of like an ancestry visa or something, you know, and so they would use that to kind of then just come to London. And yeah, so I, I, even though I've been to South Africa, I... Um, uh and all about like Bordervest, like the sausage and you know the bride <laughs> that they do down there in south africa but it's funny that you mentioned Bordervest because the, the area i grew up in uh, and i didn't know if this would translate as well but uh, there's always a joke from um, the people that sort of live in the suburbs close to table mountain which is the more posh area uh, they would say there's people from behind the Bordervest curtain <laughs> which sort of means like <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway so um i i know it well yeah it's uh yeah it's funny it's funny um how did how did you end up in the netherlands did you uh choose to go there did you go because of stack state uh how how do you end up in the netherlands yeah so much to uh the disappointment of my uh, dutch colleagues the netherlands was not my top uh, place to go in the world um but i've always wanted to work abroad somewhere you know being carjacked uh, at some point loses its uh, its uh, distinctive flavor um no just kidding but uh, so i wanted to work abroad sort of like challenge myself see what more the world has to offer in terms of technology and uh, and just learn from different people um and the timing to come here was just uh, sort of like perfect timing i I just got married uh, to my wife. We were sort of like starting a new life together. And um, I, uh, I was contacted by a recruiter to come for a totally different company, actually, but uh, in the Netherlands. And we saw, thought like, we're young, just got married. We want to see the world. Um, now is a great time to do it. And so I uh, ended up here in the Netherlands in Rotterdam, which is now... Uh, or became my hometown is no longer so. I've moved out of the Rotterdam region by two kilometers. <laughs> but that uh, I can no longer say Rotterdam is my hometown. Uh, but that's how I ended up in here. It's it's a great country. Love it. Um, yeah, get to see the world. Yeah, it's one of those um, uh, countries where uh, I think it's one of the easiest, especially if you're an English speaker. I think I think it's one of the easiest countries to kind of emigrate to because you know even if a Dutch person speaks bad English, their English is usually fifty times better than if I was to go to say France, where yeah. they just refuse to speak English. You know, and, and you have to kind of adapt to their culture. Whereas I think the Dutch have a little bit more of a of an embracing culture they're proud of their background and their language and whatnot but they're they don't they don't get defensive when you know they have to talk english or no indeed yeah they're, they're, they're pretty good i found in fact in fact to a fault like if you try and speak dutch they will just look at you and say 
what are you doing we speak english (laughs) it is well that's now the funniest thing is like i think in some sense dutch is the hardest language to learn not because the language is hard but because they will immediately pick up you're not dutch and convert to english yeah and we've had times where like all i said was yes and then they're like you're english all right let's go (laughs) and i'm like i'm trying man give me time so uh, it's so funny but uh, yeah it's a cool place that's cool that's cool um but yeah no it's uh it's interesting to hear different people's uh backgrounds and especially when you take a leap to to emigrate um you know south africa it is what it is but it's a it's a different culture altogether right uh Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's talk a little bit about tech. Uh, let's do. You spend a lot of time actually working with uh, Kubernetes, uh, and um, it's a relatively new technology, right? Uh, but it is a, a technology that, that's being adopted across, across the board. And, and you know, yeah. for people who uh, maybe aren't so technical, who kind of want to know what Kubernetes is, um, how would you describe what Kubernetes is uh, when you compare it to, say, like a virtual like VMware or like all these other technologies that do similar things? What does Kubernetes mm. do and how does it do it better than other solutions that are out there or the old way of doing it? Yeah, well, I think it's, well, that is um, a really tricky question also. It is something that in time we're figuring out. You know, like, so um, for the longest time, software sort of like moved really slowly. And I mean, I don't mean that development was stagnant. I mean, more in the sense of like uh, change and adoption to change was quite slow. Um, But containerization changed the ball game a lot in that respect, right? Instead of like having to set up VMs and spending a bunch of time getting something running, I can have it on my machine in, in, in seconds, you know? And so th- that meant that the rate of development and the rate of change has been exponentially increasing over the last few years. So I think the, the gap that Kubernetes saw on the market was not containerization because that already existed, but it was solving the pain points that containerization brings, you know, because with every new uh, inception of technology, it's not all... Uh, like roses and fairy tales, there's hard problems to solve. Um, and I think the gap that they saw is that there was nobody doing a good enough job at orchestrating these type of environments. And so their main goal was to set up some sort of environment to say like, we will orchestrate it for you. Like you bring us your containers and we will make sure it runs where it should be. And we, and we will sort of take care of the things around that. And I, and I think it... It has really changed software as an industry. You know, if I think of just my relatively short uh, career within tech, it's vastly different, the landscape that it used to be seven, eight years ago. Um, so it, it is changing the game and it, and it still is. And it is, it's quite an interesting space to watch. And it's, of course, for us, it's like, um being in this fast-paced moving environment brings the challenges of course but it, it really also creates a bunch of great opportunities um and it allows us to create uh, technology and software that wouldn't have been possible uh, a few years ago um 
so in that sense, really exciting space. Yeah. The way the way I often view it is that basically Kubernetes is the next iteration of an operating system, right? Because because yeah. that's what it is. It's an orchestrator, right? Uh, and it allows you to focus on very specific services, you know, within the ecosystem of an application. So, you know, I remember in the old days um, working, you know, with Java applications that ran within Tomcat that then connected to a MySQL database. And, you know, if we were doing an upgrade, we would literally have to restart Tomcat with mm. the new jar file and it would then take it's the like... jar file or whatever and then then it would upgrade and then you'd have to worry about propagating the jar file across other Java Tomcat nodes that you've got Apache Tomcat nodes. Um, whereas now with, with Kubernetes, you, you, you don't need to do that, right? So if you want yeah. to make an improvement to a service, so like if it's a shopping cart within the Amazon.com experience, you can make a change to the shopping cart process, A, without taking down the entire environment, you can bleed people off the old functionality and then iteratively get them onto the new functionality and it's all seamless, right? And it doesn't require hours of maintenance and hours of downtime in order to just push, uh, you know, a simple code change, right? Right, yeah. I mean, I, I had some now very brief nightmarish flashbacks of FileZilla copying uh, PHP uh, backends over to uh, to servers. Yeah, th those days are gone, you know. So fortunately, you know, we can uh, we live in a world where we don't have to do that anymore. Um, yeah. What would you say? Do you have any kind of experience in that domain, like keeping up with the rate of change? And you know, have you experienced any of those challenges yourself? Well, for us, I mean, the the challenge is always different, right? it's it's not so much while well, we do develop an application for kubernetes we have the added complexity that we're actually trying to monitor kubernetes at the same time and so the way you just phrased it now is actually perfect because it's no longer you know if you if you uh, if we take your example you know you put you put uh, a new version of your application on thumb change is immediate and the impact of it is also immediate and the effect is known let's say now you have that span across multiple teams potentially multiple clouds uh, one of the teams that never talks to you change something that shouldn't affect you but it always does um, and so it 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 now the amount of of data i need to make a decision about why something went wrong just expanded exponentially. I need to know what's going on in my AWS. I potentially need to know, let's say, what's going on in Google Cloud. And what happened on uh, Kubernetes? What is this team next to me doing? All of these things create a bunch of extra communication, which can just be a time waste and a time drain. But also, in order to know where things went wrong, I actually need to know what happened. And uh, that, that now is the complexity, you know, like, what is going on in my landscape over time and and how do i backtrack to what what the the, the cause of this issue was you know the other thing is it's not so immediate you know as you said like you're deploying a new version of your checkout service 
that's not live everywhere, right? at the point where you press a button, it actually takes time for that change to apply. And that means that while you're making a change right now, you might only see the effects of that change an hour or two hours down the line, you know, and then I have to like backtrack what happened um, in this very fast changing landscape, which one of these changes actually caused the issue that I'm, that I'm looking at. Um, so security groups, for instance, great example, that has happened many times, you know, restricting of, of policies or things like that, where I used to be able to do this. Now I'm no longer able to, what changed? Oh, someone changed an IAM role, you know? Um, so things like that really become a, a tricky problem to solve indeed. Yeah. And then, and then, um, well, we, we actually spoke with a, uh, a fintech company the, uh, the other day, they told us that you know, all of a sudden their AWS VPC was no longer routing traffic anymore. Um, and they still don't know what happened. And they opened a ticket with AWS and they don't know what happened. Um, because, because, and so, so when you're missing that, that play by play, you know, things that, you know, and I think a lot of tools, they really focus more on the, the algorithm of like picking up something abnormal. And then once they flag an abnormality, they then focus on bringing in as much data as possible. But, you know, when you get into Kubernetes, you know, a container that ran two weeks ago that maybe, you know, ran a bunch of code that changed maybe indexes on a database or whatever all of a sudden could have a bottleneck effect two weeks later when it's black Friday and everybody's trying to get on and submit, you know, things to the shopping cart. And then all of a sudden right. it takes 50 seconds to do that in the database, as opposed to a fraction of a second before. Right. Uh, and so without that play by play and seeing, you know, those changes, you're not going to, you, you won't have any ability to accurately go back quickly at least and see mm -hmm. what's going on. You'll, you'll just be left with a bunch of queries in the database. And and hey, guess what? All of a sudden now you need a full stack developer just to monitor Kubernetes because they need to then understand the database languages of the different database services that are being used, uh, the different programming languages uh, like Node.js or Java or whatever the developers decide to use as their, their programming language for their for their code. And then you also have to learn, you know, Kubernetes, right? And YAML files and pods and, you know, namespaces and privileged access and stuff like that, you know, uh, and ensuring that, you know, you're picking the right container image. And, you know, that, yeah. you know, when somebody made their changes, the, the, the replica set and the deployment were also updated as well to take into consideration the new container with the updated code, right? Um, yeah. It just becomes so complicated. And there's a reason why the average Kubernetes developer slash administrator is paid like uh, 185 grand a year in the States. Um, and I still find it funny because they ask for 10 years experience yeah. in Kubernetes. And <laughs> Kubernetes is only six years old. So I, I, I don't know what to tell you. but Mag The magic of job description or uh, requirements. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah I think it, it, it is like, um, you know, such a, like, the space is so dynamic and, and the concepts are great, right? Like, all, so Kubernetes really did a great job at like sort of laying out these different parts. 
but you don't care about them when everything is working you know like i don't care what's happening in my replica set or whatever when when things are working but the moment things go wrong i i have to know like you say i have to know all of those things you know and that yeah that can be quite a challenge yeah i i think um you can tell that kubernetes was created by developers for developers in a way because there, there really isn't a lot of sexiness uh in in the form of a user interface that can allow you to easily navigate all these relationships and all this data it is very much command line operated um if you you know you got to learn kube cuttle you've got to you got to even even docker right which has kubernetes built into it on like windows and mac um it still doesn't show relationships and it's still very heavily uh command line interface type thing right where where you have to build out docker files and and stuff like that and to share you know either you know local data with the container for whatever reason um mm -hmm. you know and and we were kind of talking about this prior to to this recording uh, and you made a good point around the fact that you know, uh, people are moving now towards the functionality of software as opposed to the sexiness of software, right? Where, yeah. What do you think are some of the reasons why people really emanate towards Kubernetes despite the fact that it, it doesn't really have any kind of easy-to-use user interface? Yeah. Well, I think you, you, you get a bit of those, those guarantees, right? Um... So of course you you have a very fast environment. You have things that can can fall over. You have constant changes, but you also have an orchestrator that's really good at its job. And so there's to some extent there's less for you to care about. While we just spoke about these bunch of things, so it might sound a bit contradictory. There's a lot of things that that Kubernetes does for you and does well, um, and I think. What, what plays nicely within the space is that I think in some sense, the software industry was forced into this route, you know, like we cannot keep running stuff on VM where we have to do all this manual work. So this is the inevitable route we're going. Okay, let's start building tooling around um, that, that helps us to sort of like look at the logs that help us keep track of uh, the metrics that's going on and things like that. So I think the... There's of course Kubernetes, but there's a, a a great community and community tools around this. You know that that sort of like um, that help you do your job. It's not perfect, as you mentioned. Like let's take something like the K9s uh, to sort of look at uh, what's going on in your Kubernetes uh, environment. It does a good enough job to get you away from Qcuttle, but you sit in that interface and you're still missing a bunch of things. How are my pod or how are my containers related to one another? Which services are they calling? You know, what, what the, my interface that I'm looking at today look like yesterday? Um, those sort of things, I still have to scrape a bunch of places to sort of figure out what is going on. Um, but all of that being said, the space is... It's two part <laughs> to answer your question. Yeah. The one is like, yeah, there's a bunch of these benefits. The other thing is I have no option <laughs> yeah. in some sense, you know? So, um, yeah. Well, my, my introduction to Kubernetes was really through Docker. Um, mm. And 
you know, when I when I first was getting into it, I didn't really know what containers were. I just thought that they were basically mini virtual machines, which you know is is true, right? They're they're mm. they're usually, but they're a very focused set of. Um, uh, components from like an operating system. So let's say you've got a container, it runs on Linux. You can literally strip away all of the other capabilities from the operating system that you don't need. Uh, just have some of the core capabilities that you need to execute your code, like, you know, whatever version of Python or whatever version of Node.js needs to be in the template. Uh, and then it simply runs your code. Um, and, and then if you put it in a stack, you've now all of a sudden got this really efficient way of just like being able to make changes, but then also stuff spinning up and spinning down with very little compute needed. You know, if this was all virtualized, we'd be spinning up entire Windows Server operating systems. They mm. would be running. And also, because it is an entire operating system, there's a security risk, right? Because if I can then get into that system, I can do whatever I want in there. Yeah. I can run commands. I can do PowerShell. I can, you know, just destroy the data. I can shut off ports. I can do whatever I want. Whereas, you know, with the YAML files, you define, you know, a very specific template and set of boundaries for the container. So there's a there's an additional security layer while still yeah. giving you that flexibility of being able to deploy code without taking down the entire system, right? And no, yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I think in some sense it's like a, a toolbox, you know. Like um, I recently redid our bathroom. <laughs> um, it's very. Uh, just follow me on this analogy. That's great. In the same sense, container is your toolbox to do your job. You know, like if you're running a Node.js application, you don't need an entire uh, VM to do that. You just need the tools that that's in your toolbox, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, <laughs> I just wanted to highlight my pain of doing a bathroom and then I feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah, just, just get that out there so you can tell your wife next time. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I want to pay a contractor <laughs> next time. <laughs> to do it, yeah. So, yeah. so, so I, uh, I, you know, our marketing person specifically uh, was uh, interested in talking about container runtimes, mm. and a lot of people talk about container runtimes um, and don't really know what that actually means. It's like a buzzword. Mm. Um, could you give me a definition if somebody says? container runtime to you what does it mean yeah so it, it it now becomes a hot topic right because now you see um for instance you see openshift it's been a while but people sort of keep uh, catch the track right now openshift has moved to cryo which is a container runtime um kubernetes is now uh, sort of ditched the Docker runtime in favor of only running a container D. And so for a long time, Docker was the only container runtime with maybe you can uh, add Rocket in there as an exception. Um, but it was not, if you were running containers, you were running Docker for the longest yeah. time. And so container runtimes, I mean, it was a singular thing. <laughs> maybe you could call it container runtime up until fairly recently. Um, but it's actually, the, the concept has been around for a long time. Um, and so there's there's two parts really to it. The, the one is um, something that's called the OCI, 
And so it's the Open Container initi Initiative. And sort of as containers started developing and you sort of saw these different flavors of runtimes coming in, uh, they said, okay, hang on, love the innovation that's going on here, but we need to define what it means to be a container. Like what makes up a container? What sort of actions can I do it? How do I interact with it? And um, it's been around for, I think, seven or eight years, but they sort of are still like defining, you know, what does it like mean to publish a container? Something you spoke about earlier was like signing um, packages. That's something that now containers don't have yet. Um, right, I'm running a container with code. I don't know, is this the official image? You know, because I can only look at the repo and just say, oh, looks like it. Um, <clears throat> but that's actually also something that will become a part of the OCI, like signed containers, things like that. Um, so that's the one one side of this, like something can run containers. Okay, let's first define what containers are. Um, and then when you come into the Kubernetes space, for a long time, Kubernetes talked directly to Docker. Um, and yeah, maybe the important thing to mention here is that we mentioned it previously just now, but Kubernetes is only orchestration. And so it, it doesn't have the ability to run containers. It uses container runtimes to do that. Um, but they had uh, Docker being their container runtime for a long time at direct communication with the Docker uh, shim. Um, and um, as more of these container runtimes started popping up, they sort of did the same thing that the OCI did and said, okay, hang on. We as Kubernetes want to give flexibility because that's part of the, the buy-in to what Kubernetes is, the fact that I can switch out network layers, I can switch out uh, etcd for a different uh, security store, things like that. We want people to be able to run Kubernetes, but run it in a container or run it using a container runtime that's different to Docker, if that use case is there. And we can talk about why people do that as well. Um, but then they they defined the the CRI, which is the container runtime interface. But that means that it's like a like a general API for how do I talk to container runtimes? How do I tell them, hey, start container X? That sort of spec around that. Um, <clears throat> and that sort of like started, I think, this conversation, the ability to run different container runtimes. Why would I want to do that? You know, what benefits two different container runtimes gives me? And I think it really hit it off in which why you're now seeing like a bunch of these sort of uh, discussions and um, people speaking at conference about container runtimes where previously that might've been a small crowd. Now, a lot of people have interest in it. Is that firstly, now it's really easy. Actually, there's, there's two great specs that you just have to implement and you can create your own container runtime. Um, but also the more, security becomes more important right and so uh, there's a bunch of reasons to do it some of it is uh, docker is really heavy and so something like container d says well if you're running docker you're running part of us anyway might as well ditch docker and only use us things like that um, <clears throat> and then of course you get some performance improvements right because you're running a, a, like a smaller subset of what you used to do um, and then next to that, there's also security concerns, right? You, we spoke about the VMs now and, and what people can do when they get into your VM. To a lesser extent, that is still possible with containers. And so 
you get things like kata uh, containers like gvisor and um, firecracker a bunch of these things that sort of say okay let's as isolate even more what people can do once they get in the container like to use the uh, toolbox analogy let's trim down the toolbox even more uh, to make sure that you know if someone gets in here they can their attack surface is really small and so i can sort of like uh, feel more at ease about what is going on very long winded question and a bit of history there to say you know that is why container runtimes now become a hot topic because now i have options right where previously it was docker um so yeah that's uh, yeah no that's that's interesting because you know when i when i when i when i see container runtimes i'm 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 usually drawn to docker just simply because it's the thing that i use i'm most comfortable with it but then having said that um i've used like uh, eks and you know and i've never needed to use a docker container you know i can just spin up uh using the native protocols um mm. yeah yeah no it's interesting yeah okay yeah so that's sort of like a bit of history and also why this discussion now becomes uh, really interesting um and then next to that of course so whenever you talk to people now about container runtimes i mean there's like small like people that are involved in container runtimes care about it which of course makes sense <laughs> but for for the typical user of kubernetes it makes no difference right it's like it is such a low level there i just want to run containers and i want this thing to orchestrate it to me but the thing that that is um important here is that if you want to start uh, observing what's going on in your platforms container runtime is really key part to that you know if you want to like run some security checks for instance on your containers then you pick a container runtime that provides you more security or you use a type of isolator that that does that for you um so the discussion is becoming more important, but also the observability of it is becoming more important. How do I deal with an ever-evolving landscape where the amount of container runtimes can just grow, let's say, almost infinitely? <laughs> Ideally not, but right now we have three main ones that are being used in the wild. Uh, so that would be Cryo, Container D, and, uh, and Docker still. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Docker... Uh, the the usage of Docker went down by like thirty percent in a year, um, and so you're seeing like a big impact because people are starting to use Container D and Cryo more. That, that the usage of Docker is really going down, and so for us as an observability platform, we have to keep up with that trend. You know, we have to say like, okay, then we talk to Cryo, then we talk to Container D, and we sort of we get you the most up to date info about what's going on in your landscape. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think what Docker uh, is going to be challenged with, especially when it comes to OpenShift, I think more than anything is that uh, I think the OpenShift salespeople are going to tell you know people who are operating their systems or when they're trying to sell OpenShift is like, listen, you know, Docker is completely community driven. You could be using an image that could have malicious content on it. It, it you know, just because you're downloading. 
uh, a Windows container doesn't mean somebody's embedded some kind of malicious activity into that container image. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, and then also on top of that, you've got the asset management side of things, right? So if I'm using Windows containers from Docker, that goes to my Microsoft bill at the end of the year, right? Because every container is effectively a Windows operating system as far as they're concerned. And so they're just going to keep charging you every time you spin up a, a unique container, right? right. Uh, whereas with OpenShift, you can you get the support. Uh, it's Red Hat focused. You 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 get the security layer as well because you're you're actually building out your own uh, container policies and images. You, you 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 in a way you're limited because you can't just import a bunch of open stuff. I mean they're building out their marketplace and things like that, but it's nowhere near as big as Docker or community driven as Docker is, right? Just you're right. It's been around longer. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for you know, that sells greatly to uh, to the small software company because yeah, it's open source. I get a bunch of support, but for corporate companies, that's not a great selling point, you know. And so then something like OpenShift, yeah, perfect market for them. Um, and also, you know, as part of uh, why they sort of ditch Docker as well, right, in in favor of Cryo as a con time because it also just plays nicely with uh, the whole red uh, enterprise yeah. So, yeah yeah well this has been a this has been a fascinating conversation um uh we, we're actually running out of time uh right now um but uh, i i think i think we spoke about uh, a lot of stuff I, I don't know if it got too technical at certain <laughs> <laughs> or, or not but uh, but i i do really appreciate you taking the time and at the very least and kind of running through some of this uh information do you have anything to share any last tidbits or anything that you want to share with the rest of the world um mm, putting me on the spot <laughs> no no I, I think it's just um you know it's it's exciting this change but it also presents some real uh, observability challenges and that is like a small plug there for us but that's really what we're focusing on um in in some sense you know uh, you know stack state set out to build like a complex changing environments and sort of like monitor in that and um you know, with with the goal of being able to monitor these type of things, but the, the the industry is really moving into that space, and so without a tool like Stackstate, you're gonna have a really hard time to uh, to sort of keep uh, keep your eyes on what's going on in your environments. Um. So yeah, that that's what that's why we're here. We're building hard. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is funny how uh, you know the the world has just become more and more change oriented and. You know, I remember the traditional days when, you know, the banks would do an upgrade. It would be like, hey, let's get the change approval board all together. Let's get the maintenance hours. And I'm like, man, this is like uh, things are moving away from that. And, and you know, those uh, traditional ITIL ways of doing things yeah. scale, you know, like uh, uh, because people are just they're more expectant than ever on like you know innovation uh and easier newer ways of doing things more reliable ways of doing things right um yeah and, and we're getting more and more digital right like like TV yeah i mean streaming you know it's it, 
it's it's this uh in some sense it's quite funny but this instant gratification culture is driving the change in software as well you know like yeah people want their uh, uh their new mac delivered to them this evening you know and so yeah you need you need the tools like this to to be able to create those sort of platforms yeah well, <laughs> you know the real reason why we have 5g is because of the containers that it sits on and the fact now that yeah. it can transmit data faster than ever is really why you get 5g like that's that's the secret source and why it exists now it's not it's not because of new microwaves that are going off into the atmosphere it's a lot to do with containerization and you know people are using it every day and yet they uh, don't know a lot about it so uh, hopefully this session has kind of helped with that a little bit mm. but again thank you so much for your time uh really appreciate it great thank you cool uh well take it easy and uh, i'll speak to you uh soon or later today <laughs> or whenever <laughs> <laughs> awesome thanks, thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more information about StackState, you can visit stackstate.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-S-T-A-T-E.com. And you can also find a written transcript of this episode on our website. So if you prefer to read through what they've said, definitely head over there. And also make sure to subscribe if you'd like to receive a notification whenever we launch a new episode. So until next time.